All right. Okay. Well, we're going to go first tonight to a, a different issue. Uh, it's been a rocky month for the FAI following recent revelations that their CEO, Jonathan Hill, received payments above an agreed limit set out in the Memorandum of Understanding between the government and the FAI, which led to the association's bailout in 2020. The payments were made in lieu, the payments to Jonathan Hill, that is, were made in lieu of holidays and expenses occurred but have brought governance issues at the association under the spotlight once again. The FAI were in front of the Oireachtas Committee on Tourism, Sport and Media today and to tell us more about what transpired. I'm joined by sports writer with the 42, Gavin Cooney. Gavin, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Callum, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, who from the FAI lined up in front of the committee today? That was an all-star cast. I think there was 12 members of the FAI there, but the most relevant people in terms of who spoke at the committee was obviously the CEO, Jonathan Hill, the now former independent chairman, Roy Barrett. Uh, There were a number of board members there, including um, Liz Joyce, who's a HR expert who who chairs the uh, remuneration committee there, and uh, existing in a cloud somewhere far, far away, Packy Bonner, who's a a board member now as well, but was dialing in from abroad. The ultimate safe pair of holes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Just give us the background to this. Why were they there? Because they were expected a bit earlier, but other things got in the way. What landed them in front of the committee? Yeah, so they were initially going into the Oireachtas Sports Committee column to talk about their own infrastructure plans. So, as we all know, football facilities in Ireland, from League of Ireland level down to grassroots, are a ramshackle mess. So the FAI audited all of their facilities and produced this infrastructure report earlier this year, which said that they'd need €863 million over the next 15 years to build them up to a proper standard, roughly €500 million of that to come from central government. So the plan was to waive this infrastructure report in front of the committee and answer whatever questions that they would have. But given the FAI's unrivaled propensity for scoring own goals, um, just before that meeting, this whole story broke, that state funding to the FAI was suspended because the FAI were deemed to be in breach of their state bailout agreement because the CEO was being paid in excess of what he should have been being paid. So under under that state bailout agreement, it was agreed that the FAI, the remuneration of their CEO, would not exceed that of a secretary general of a government department. This was just a means of the state keeping control of what the FAI CEO was paid. Famously, at, at his peak, John Delaney was paid a base salary of €450,000 in the good old days. So that was their means of keeping it in, in control. And a Sport Ireland audit found it was €20,000 in breach of that. So state funding was suspended. The FAI addressed the issues. Jonathan Hill paid back the money. The state funding has been resumed to the FAI, but just as the FAI delegates asked questions at their AGM on Saturday, a number of politicians lined up around Leinster House to wonder why exactly, four years on, are we back around this committee talking about issues relating to the CEO's pay at the FAI. And there were some reports from that AGM on Saturday that not only had uh, uh, money in excess of, of the cap that was imposed being paid, but that there was... Uh, almost an unapologetic tone being struck about this, although that that was somewhat disputed today. What happened there? Yeah, so one of the, the one of the reasons Jonathan Hill was in excess uh, had twenty thousand euro been paid twenty thousand euro too much was because he had twelve days of annual leave in twenty twenty one that he wasn't able to take that the FAI then converted into cash and topped up his salary with. Now that's controversial because it's against the employee handbook at the FAI, so that shouldn't have happened. Um, and then Roy Barrett was the now former independent chairman. He went along to the AGM on Saturday and stood before the delegates at the lectern for a good forty five minutes, and he 
said he took responsibility for it because it was he who sanctioned the money. But then as we got into the weeds of this at, at the Oireachtas Committee today, the problem was uh, as regards how, how he he alone sanctioned the money. He believed he had the discretion to do it and not all of the board of the FAI were informed that this money had been paid to Jonathan Hill until November of this year. For context, the money was granted to Hill. It was included in his pay packet for March of this year. So this is bringing back um, un, um, unhelpful memories of how the FAI used to be run. Now, the sums of money involved are nowhere near what they used to be. But for instance, John Delaney, when he was CEO at the FAI, was given a golden handcuffs deal, which the full mem- with all of the members of the FAI board were unaware of. Now, Packy Bonner spoke in the Oireachtas Committee today that as a board member of the FEI, he only became aware of the fact that Roy Barrett had granted Jonathan Hill his, um, his payment in lieu of holiday days. He was only aware of that on the 1st of November this year. Now, Roy Barrett at the AGM on Saturday said that the reason he didn't tell the board about this was, firstly, he didn't know the full details of it. It only be they, He initially didn't realise it would be in breach of the state bailout agreement. That only became clear in around June of this year when Sport Ireland had commissioned an audit to say something doesn't smell right here, lads. Um, and then he also appeared to suggest that he feared that it would leak from the board because he also criticised a culture of leaking at the board that he described at the AGM on Saturday. Saturday as objectionable. Now, he did walk that back a bit today. He said the media had conflated that with other issues. But what he did say today was that... um he, uh, he sanctioned it and he assumed that the executives whom, with whom he sanctioned it with, uh, would they, would, they would inform the remuneration committee of the FAI and thus the FAI board. So he effectively said, I assumed that they would do it and they didn't. And as it turned out, nobody really knew. All right. Now, you go back. You, you mentioned that there was a staff handbook there, which, is, which says that the FAI have a use it or lose it policy with regard to annual leave. You can carry over five days annual leave. Otherwise, you lose what you don't carry over. And there had only, I think, been one instance, was it, of people getting a cash settlement in lieu of uh, annual leave unused. So it was an unusual arrangement to go through on the nod. Yeah, it was just because, and I mean, Roy Barrett, when this, when this first, when the FBI first became aware of this, Roy Barrett became aware that Jonathan Hill hadn't taken these 12 days of annual leave. He said there were exceptional circumstances that, you know, there were COVID issues and then we needed him at X, Y and Z days. So he couldn't take his holiday days. He went to the aforementioned Liz Joyce, the HR expert on the board, just for a kind of almost an informal opinion. Should we do this? And her opinion given in December last year was that, no, it's not best practice. We shouldn't do it. Um, but oh, sorry, got, that, uh, oh we, that, we, we thought we'd lost out, you sorry, there, Gavin. Gavin. Yeah, no, you're back. Go for it. Um, yeah, sorry. So it, she said that it wasn't best pa- practice, and she thought no more about it, and assumed it hadn't happened until she heard about it in September, when obviously the audit had kicked off. Um, so that was quite an unusual arrangement. And Jonathan Hill, one of the things that the committee tried to probe and were not satisfied with was how on earth this rose in the this arose in the first place. So as you mentioned, it, it did arise for this junior member of staff who, exec- exceptional circumstances, couldn't take her holiday days. So there was a discussion involving Roy Barrett, involving the former finance director, Alex O'Connell, and the FBI's current director of people and culture at the organisation. Could we, you know, could we sort her out, you know, because she hasn't been able to take her holiday days. Um, and then in, in quite passive language was used at the committee, it has to be said, that this then triggered an, a, a conversation about Jonathan Hill's situation. Well, hang on, Jonathan has 12 days he hasn't taken. Maybe we could do something about this. Now, Jonathan Hill is adamant that he did not ask for that. He said, he told the it committee today, happened. I did not ask for it. It was triggered push it 
yeah, it was triggered. This kind of passive language. And I have to say, some of the committee members were not impressed by this. Like Alan Dillon, kind of the breakout star of the RT stuff during the summer. He called this a cock and bull story. And the FER are going to be back in before the Public Accounts Committee in February next year. And he said he wants the email chain um, that discussed all this. He wants those emails sent into the committee ahead of time, which right. obviously the FEI will have to comply with. So that's another the, 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 interesting the, little wrinkle out of today. The central suspicion of committee members was basically that this was a means of paying above the agreed cap under Condition 35 of the Memorandum of Understanding and being done in a way that would hide it from public view. And one of the things they pointed towards in this was when uh, member organisations of the FAI were emailed about voting in favour of gender balance because it would jeopardise government funding, uh, mm. this wasn't mentioned. Just, Just... Talk us through that 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 exchange uh, and and how it played yeah. into it. Yeah, so I think it was Shane Castle who asked. I, I, may, I might be wrong about that, and I apologise if I am. But yeah, so this was again one of the kind of. Um, instances that shook the FAI in, in this kind of long winter of kind of discontent that they're now living in was that they had to achieve gender balance, 40%, a minimum 40% female representation on their board, or else the government would cut half their funding for next year. And at an EGM that was virtually held in November, in early November, the FAI members voted against it for their for their own reasons. And um, we can go into them if you want to. Um, but, but prior to that meeting, apparently Jonathan, well, certainly there had been um, an, a letter issued to members, co signed by the chairman, uh, Roy Barrett, by Jonathan Hill, the CEO, and by the president, now former president, Jerry McEnany, saying, look, if we don't go through with this, lads, we'll lose half our state funding next year. It neglected to mention that state funding for this year had already been suspended at this point. Now, the story hadn't broken in the press around the whole issues around Jonathan Hill. So when that was raised today, Jonathan Hill's answer was simply uh, that, yes, but you know, our letter referred to funding for 2024. So that, that was it. Right. I mean, it, it was effectively, so we don't have to talk about 2023. I was only okay. talking about 2024. Just before I go to the, the panel, uh, Gavin, how, how is he rated as as a CEO? I mean, the, it, it should be said Sport Ireland and the, the department have said that uh, the FAI is, I think, 97, 98%, or 97% in compliance with the Memorandum of Understanding with with a view to it being 98% in, in compliance uh, by the end of the year. But in terms of the change of the FAI's fortunes since the John Delaney, years, how is he regarded? Yeah, it's quite mixed. I mean, there are some people out there who, I mean, there are some in the football constituencies who do have an issue with him living in London and commuting from there. Now, the FBI board are supportive of it. He's had he's had very vocal backing at times from the now former chairman, Roy Barrett. He's evidently rated around the FAI. They have increased his salary. You know, it's gone up by 23% since he first joined because the FAI's interpretation of that, we can't exceed the Secretary General pay. They're also not paying any less than it. So they are linking it to any time the Secretary General's getting an increase, our CEO will get an increase as well. So obviously they're um, they're kind of uh, they're supporting him in that way. You know, it's kind of mixed. You know, he comes from a very kind of has, had a very impressive commercial CV in joining the FAI. One of um, the issues constantly thrown at him is that the FAI have not secured a main sponsor for the senior men's team in his time in charge so far. He says hopefully they will achieve that in 2024. He points to other commercial revenues going up from, you know, 3 million to 8 million euro as of last year. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's a slightly, uh, it's, kind of, it's a little bit of a divisive figure. All right. Uh, Lisa Chambers, what did you make of what you heard uh, from the committee today? Were you, did you take it at face value what was being said by the FAI? They've paid the money back. The apology has been issued. Nothing to see here. 
Well, I wouldn't say nothing to see here. Look, at least they've they've paid it back. I think it's just it's a bit unfortunate, isn't it, for the football family in particular. It harks back to old days. You think of the John Delaney saga, which feels like five minutes ago. It's very recent. Um, the bailout from the government and all that went with that and all the disappointment and just um, the trust that was lost with the public and with the with the, with the state It's a cautionary well. tale, isn't it, for any organisation that finds itself in the spotlight that might need government help and, and, and is under the spotlight. It, it is, but it just it's, it kind of beggars belief that they're back in this situation so soon even. I mean, would you have not have learned from before I uh, I wasn't at the committee I'm not a member but my colleague Shane Castles sits on that committee so I actually spoke to Shane before coming on the show just to see what was the trust of the meeting like and he said it was you know it was quite a tense meeting um, and a very, very robust exchange and that that point was made that they weren't really buying the, some of the story that was given at committee today um, that the rules are clear they're not supposed to pay more than the salary of a, of a, a secretary general of, de, of a department so there is a cap on a salary they, they exceeded that cap. That's just a fact. Um, and also it's against their own rules. And I think the fact that when Roy Barrett went, ran this by um, Liz, that, is it Joyce? Liz Joyce, yeah. That she advised him that it wouldn't be best practice. So he'd already been kind of, it had already been flagged by his own people that maybe this isn't a good idea. And he still did it anyways. You just would have to wonder if I was in that position and, you know, I was the person, you know, steering the ship and this and the, the FAI have been su- through such a huge controversy in very recent times. And on top of that, you're in committee today looking for the state to stump up half a billion euros so that you can invest in infrastructure and football facilities for kids right across the country. It looks as though they've jeopardised that because I know my colleague Shane Castles put to them, how can we trust you with that amount of money if you can't even get your house in order and have good governments and just have transparency? We were supposed to get a clean a clean sweep, a new broom. It was meant to be transparent in right. a new way of doing things. And I just think people feel really deflated and just disappointed that we're in this space again and so soon. That's the point though, isn't it? It's the point of the lessons weren't learned. And I think at several points, even on like this 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 link between the sec gen salary um, and, this, and the CEO salary. Now, it has to be said, the standard sec gen salary as opposed to the upper tier of yes. gen salaries like it's public expenditure It's still a big salary now. It's still a very generous no, no, salary. I'm not saying it's small. I'm just saying for, for, <laughs> yeah, for no, the avoidance of doubt it's in the 200,000 plus bracket yeah, uh, as opposed to the 300 plus yeah. bracket. And I think it should the, be. the question was asked like is that a limit or is, is that a cap or is that a target? You know, and, and also, like, this is the point, like, like the FAI had a really, really tough time a couple of years ago. It was really particularly bruising for them. And, you know, families that are sitting at home and they're the ones that are handing out a couple of euro for their kids to go and play football, be it after school, be it at the weekend. They're going to the matches and they're seeing this happen. You know, once again, uh, Michal Kargi uh, made the question that perhaps, you know, Jonathan Hill should go. You know, he said when we had a few issues with boxing associations a few years ago, it improved after the chairman and the chief executive left and maybe something similar can happen here. I think really, you know, this was a controversy and to be back in the spotlight, like the FAI really did not need this. All right. Uh, Martin Kenny, the other issue was tying the CEO's pay to that of a sec gen meant that the rise that the CEO got in terms of the jumps over, I think, Mm, four years was considerably higher than what staff members jumped by, which I think was 3% per annum over the same period. It was Mm. a different of of 20... Gavin, Gavin, you're still with us on the line. It was a a jump of of, of 20... Yeah, 20 something. 27% was it? Jonathan Hill's gone up 
Jonathan Hill's gone up 23% since he started in 2020. And across that time, according to Hill and the committee today, staff, the FEI, have gone up by an average of 12%. All right, Martin. Can yes, you, I mean, it's, 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 it's a reflection again of, you know, the them and us. And I think that's something that certainly a lot of people at grassroots level within sports organisation finds, particularly with the FEI, you know, that there's, there's an elite there that look after each other. And that that's that's the problem we've got, and that problem has not, you know, gone away with John Delaney's departure. That there's still problems there. Uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that the state is funding to such a level, and and you know, nobody has any problem with that. We we need to ensure that we do have, you know, a, a good sports organisation, and you know, we need to develop certainly our facilities around the country, and for young people, and for all of that. And it's 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 healthy, it's productive, it's it's part of of what society needs to do to invest in. However, we need to ensure that the people that are involved in our organising it and run it, run it properly and that it doesn't become a gravy train for a few at the top and it certainly smells of that still. Alright, but, but Verona Murphy, the structures are, are now in place. This was discovered, money was withheld, people were held to account, the memorandum of understanding is, is uh, they're being held to account for that. Is that at least encouraging? Should that establish trust, if nothing else? Yeah, and I think my understanding, and again, I didn't see the committee today, but my understanding is that Dr. Una May of the Sports Council instituted the audit, which probably identified this. Now, whilst that is very disappointing, um, at least we have a mechanism where it can be readily identified. I think there was some cause for concern that the memorandum of understanding wasn't been taken seriously. And whilst you say you yourself said 97% compliant, I think we need 100% compliance because at the end of the day, we can't allow local community clubs, which I am very involved with, my own daughter plays soccer, but at local level, these are like society is indebted to these clubs and what they do with their children and keeping them off the streets and giving them something to do and we should absolutely be supporting them they should not be the victims of something like this but unfortunately when you stop funding that's exactly who's impacted so I think You're on the public accounts uh, yeah, committee and, that's and what they are, I want going, to, to say they I are don't, going to be called in so yeah, they're, uh, and so far in, as you got to see any of this today you're going to have your own outing with them at the public accounts mm. committee what are the outstanding questions still there from your point. Well look at its governance and its governance all the way and I can assure you it's not just the FAI where governance is an issue. We have to start to recognise that governance is fundamental to any type of funding and governments should be the top of every organisation's agenda especially if they're in receipt of funding or seeking funding. Now there was at one point a level of arrogance within the FAI where they were complaining that they weren't getting the level of funding or they were lesser funding available to the FAI. There was lesser funding available than for instance the GA under sports capital. But I think these issues don't help. I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt particularly until they come in in front of the Public Accounts Committee. We'll have an in-depth meeting uh, for three and a half hours, in which case we will ask all those questions. But I do have confidence in Una May. Uh, She has appeared in front of the Public Accounts Committee as the Sports Council CEO and she's very credible and I believe she's doing a very good job and I think that this being turned up in the first place is credit to her. All right, uh, Gabby, how, how would you describe the, the tone of the committee's interrogation today? Is it a case and sometimes in the committee's uh, the bigger the beast, the harsher the tone? Yeah, I think, look, 
politicians have a responsibility and especially when it comes to Rockthus committees, they're there to represent the public, but also ask the questions that the public have. And they're kind of playing the role in the journalists a little bit there because they want to flesh out the timeline of events, what happened, where, how, when. Um, and I think when TDs go into it, you know, even even to think back to, you know, the RTE grillings during the summer, they come in and they have a certain idea and they have a certain version of events in their own head. But when you have politicians who, you know, e- even those who are, in fairness, and I know we we're talking about Alan Dillon there, um, because he kind of particularly shown during the RTE grillings and, and certainly um, he's on the Rockets Media Committee and he, he he's kind of quite good at probing certain issues. He does his prep. Um, but but when you have things like, you know, that's a cock and bull story, you know, the evi- the witness is sitting there in front of you. Clearly, the politicians do not believe what you're telling them. And if you start off the meeting on a kind of a poor tone or maybe, you know, the politicians are giving you a chance to explain yourself. And if it ends poorly, I mean, you obviously haven't done very right. much to get them on your side. And there is a lobbying role there for whatever organisation is in front of the committee, which is ultimately accountable to the committee. You know, you have to sell your story and convince the politicians and in turn the public but if you haven't impressed them at the end look you've lost your chance Can, right. can I just say that like governance is led by example mm. no matter where it comes from it has to be at the highest level examples shown we have seen in the past and it's not that I want to drag it up but if we have senior politicians making decisions for secretary generals without putting it across the board and that comes up in front of the Public Accounts Committee and it is ignored as if it didn't happen and they're not answerable. Well, then we can't expect to see this happening at a lower level. All right. But we have to show the example in the first place. Gavin, before think, you go, did they, did they do enough, do you think, to, to restore the, the trust? How, how would you say it finished today? Oh, no, Gavin. Gavin Gavin's along with us. Martin Kenny. Did, did, yeah. in, in your eyes, did they do I, enough? I don't think they did. And I think one of the big issues there is here, had they come in today and said, look, there was another mistake made. We're sorry. This shouldn't have happened. And was really apologetic about it and set out, look, we're terrible. They did. But it was, it was apologising and at the same time excusing and saying, well, you know, we, we didn't this and we've done that. And yeah, look, it's all over now. And it's, it's fine. And it was a sort of, actually, look, that's, that's, it was a small thing. But they weren't, in my view, they weren't contrite enough about it. And that, that's the big issue, I think, that it, it, it gives a reflection that, you know, things haven't really changed that much. Right. And, that, and they have a lot of work to do. I, ju- I just that. wanted to get a view, because funding is one of the things. And one of the things that came up at the committee today uh, was, was the Horse and Greyhound Fund. And the Horse and Greyhound Fund derives the money that's in it from, from betting and people who are involved in football argue that a considerable portion, far more than once would have been the case, uh, of betting revenue is generated by football and therefore football should get a slice. Do you agree, Lisa Chambers? To be honest, I hadn't considered it until you put it to me just there. Um, You know, I think that, to be fair, for football, it's it's funded under the Department of Sport and they get a considerable amount of funding on an annual basis. So I don't think they're coming up short and the horse and greyhound industry wouldn't get sports capital funding for example so they, they do get funded and very well funded on an annual basis but just from a different department Sp- The horse racing don't get any sports capital funding do they not? not even no, for race course or anything so. else no, really? I don't think so no no no, no. It, it's more like your soccer clubs your GA clubs right. and mm-hmm. yeah so I think they, There was a time know. golf clubs didn't get it and then Jim McDade changed the rules Every, sports now, every sport now can apply Yeah Alright Martin Kenny Yeah I, I think there's, there's an argument to be made for putting it all into the one pool you know, and to, and to look at it generally as all sports together. And I think that's something that should be looked at in the future. All right, Verona Murphy. And I don't agree with it at all. And I think that was part of the level I felt that the FAI were extending when of arrogance, to be honest. I think culture-wise, we have 
horse racing and greyhound racing embedded and I think from that perspective they are a special case the horse racing sector in Ireland is world renowned all right. OK, well, we're going to be back after this with a look at retail crime because that was up in front of another of the Oireachtas committees again with tales of woe from retailers around the country and what they're facing.